Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News Media. Hello, welcome to the Offside Rule. It might be darker evenings. We may have had to put the clocks back to endure another hour of 2020, but I've got two people to brighten up your day. Joining me, Lindsay Hooper this week as Kate's having a week off. We've got our regular third wheel, the Beyonce to our Destiny's Child. It's Sky Sports News presenter Hayley McQueen. See, no Chuckle Brothers from me, Hayley. Oh, I love that. Thanks. That's a bit of an upgrade, isn't it, from um, Barry or Paul to, uh, to Beyonce. Flipping heck. Exactly. And joining Hayley and I for a football natter is football TV presenter, reporter, writer and blogger and Chelsea fan, Alison Bender. Ali, how are you? I know it's been a tough week. Oh, yeah, it's been such a tough week. I mean, so I've, I've had coronavirus. I can't actually believe I'm saying that. It's such a weird thing. Um, and today, actually, I got my alert on my NHS app saying that I'm allowed to go out. And I feel really scared. I'm like, wow, this is it's been so crazy just lying in bed. I've been absolutely exhausted, I have to say. You know, I consider myself young and healthy and fit, and it's wiped me out. I tell you, you don't want to get this. Um, yeah, exhausting headaches, muscle aches, um, that kind of thing. But I, I do feel like I'm turning a corner, thankfully. You sound much brighter, I've got to say, and we hope that you're on the way to full recovery now because it's one of those that can linger a little bit. And uh, you, you know that you had this as well when you were at a football match, don't you? Yeah, well, it's the craziest thing because I was, I was at, a, I was reporting at Tottenham against West Ham. I felt absolutely fine. I felt completely normal. Um, did my job. Interviewed Son and Declan Rice, and then it was only the next day, the Monday evening, when I actually got a headache and a bit of a temperature. So I thought I'd, I'd get a, a test, obviously, the next day. And it was really efficient. I have to say, I got, I got the result back within 24 hours. But then you start thinking, oh my goodness, what? Who could I pass it on to? But the great thing about, you know, as you know, Lindsay, um, the the way that they restrict things at football matches. I mean, I was wearing a mask the whole time. And even when I interviewed the players, they were at such a distance from me. Um, And it would have been quite a story because I'm a Chelsea fan and like, you know, taking down two of the top players of my rival teams, West Ham and Tottenham. We wouldn't have had a topic one for this show. That's right. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, it's it's crazy, but it's really good how, you know, I I sort of think if there were fans in attendance, it would have been a very different story because I would have been so much closer to so many more people. So, yeah, it's a good thing. I think this is proof, isn't it, that the measures that are in place at the moment, they are, they're so top-notch um, that if anything does happen, the likelihood of, of spreading and it being contagious on these sites is really, really minimal because we, we both know from being, being at matches, the protocol that you have to go through is so fierce. Um, and as you rightly point out, the, the social distancing, I'm sure that's the same for you at Sky Sports News, Hayley, when you're walking around that building and you've got the likes of Patrice Evra and all your pundits there. Exactly. And we're all kept on different floors and different areas. And yeah, there, I've never seen so many cleaning staff in and around the building. So it's actually quite nice to have a few more people around because so many are working from home. But I feel definitely very, very safe at Sky. I've been really impressed with how they've handled things. And we have testing as well. If anyone even feels slightly unwell, you just don't come into work. And, and they're now 
um, providing us with testing to make sure that everyone feels like they have that, that they're safe. Because um, we have had a few people who've not felt great, wondered if it was just maybe a bit of a cold because it's that time of year. And that's the other thing we've got to throw into the mix um, and haven't been able to get a test uh, for quite some time. And it's like, well, do I go into work? Don't I? Some people, when we work in television, you can't work from home. If you're on screen, I can't present from my bed. Um, as much as I'm sure that would be fun for some people, you wouldn't want to see that with me in my giant dressing gown and my um, my two-piece tartan PJs with no makeup on. I think we'd have people turning oh, off. Oh, but we would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of a lot of broadcasters and, and studios, Ali, you've worked in them. Um, I think you're recording, um, well, you're heading into one soon, aren't you, Linz, as well? You'll probably notice that at IMG, you know, with Premier League uh, television and I'm sure BT and BBC are the same as well. Yeah, I, th- I think all those measures are really comforting. I mean, I, I did joke at the top of this intro, and I've just realised, Ali, when I said about the clocks going back, you literally have had another hour of coronavirus. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. Oh, no. It's, it's been so weird because I, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what month it is. Um, all I know is I'm out in time for Halloween. Hurrah! Yes, um, and, on, and on this show, we are, of course, going to touch on the fact that it's Halloween with a football theme as well. Uh, we're going to shed some light on a few of the golden boys as well. If you've not seen this year's shortlist, we've absolutely got that covered. But first, we're going to talk Stripe Partnerships. This is The Offside Rule with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. So we'll talk Stripe Partnerships in just a moment because Harry Kane and Son Heung-min have been lighting up the Premier League lately. Um, but first of all, just to, to point out the fact that obviously Kate's away at the moment, we've had Ali ably stepping in and we all know each other. I think it's worth pointing this out because how, do you, how far do you two go back, Hayley and Ali? Maybe 15 years... 2006, I was there for a very short spell, about a year, and left presenting at that time on Sky Sports News just didn't suit me all that well, or I didn't suit them. We've all been there, many of us. Um, And I wasn't that confident, and I wanted to go out and get a bit more experience elsewhere. And you were there also, Ali, kind of experiencing a similar year to me, kind of breaking through, but again... uh, both of us now sublimely confident in our abilities to present and our knowledge and everything. But I think back then when you're a young female and Sky Sports News was so, it was kind of one of the only places where a lot of women were seen to work in football. So it was, there was a lot of pressure and I left. However, I'd already met Ali because we have another mutual friend. Alison had worked for, well, you went on to work for Real Madrid TV, didn't you, Ali? And my best friend also works for Real Madrid TV, Kay Murray, who is now presenting out in America for ESPN. It's funny how we all have these links and everyone is still in broadcasting, a lot of us, which is lovely to see. And we all cross paths and we kind of all remember how it started out for a lot of us as well as, as, as friends. Yeah, I wanted to say as well, it was, it, I had a very similar experience to Hayley because we both uh, we both were at Sky Sports News. I'd come over from La Liga. I'd been working at Real Madrid TV. And I think the boss at, at the time actually told both of us to kind of go out there, get our experience. And we'd always be welcome back at Sky Sports News. But he said, I think it was really important to get some on the road experience, to get to know the journalist, to see what it's like in a match situation. And so I know, Hayley, you went 
back and did some work for um, Manchester United, didn't you? And I obviously did some stuff for Chelsea and Premier League. But I just wanted to, to also say it was it was a very intimidating time at um, at Sky Sports News. And actually, Hayley doesn't remember this, but one day she kind of pulled me aside and, and we sat on the step outside and she said, I, I think you could do with a friend. Um, and she said, look, it's a really tough place in here, Sky Sports News. And, you know, there's lots of competition. People kind of don't really like the fact that you've just appeared from somewhere because obviously I'd been working abroad. And she just said, you know, keep your head down, work hard and just don't take, you know, don't know, don't take it um, to heart what anyone's saying about you, which was really, really sweet back then because it was it was a really tough and intimidating place. And now it's weird to think that we're all, you know, I don't know, 20 years into our career almost. And, you know, it feels like such an eternity ago. But we did all suffer that kind of um, that pressure in the early days. And of course, in our age group, I think it's such a small women's football fraternity, isn't it, in broadcast in particular, that we, we all pretty much do know each other. It's worth pointing out, I think. Yeah, we're champions of each other as well. So, I, mean, I mean, back then I did feel an element of competition. But now, I mean, that's definitely not the case. And if I have a friend who's going for a job, I'd be delighted if they, they, they got it. If I hear about things, I get in touch with friends to let them know that I've heard about an opening somewhere. And I think definitely we've all realised how hard a lot of us have had to work to get to where we are. So you, you're very much... Um, proud of each other's achievements. Now, talking about lifting each other up, which we very much are behind, that's been happening on the pitch with Harry Kane and Son Young Min and brings us on to Stripe Partnerships. And it's Lamella's corner, which Kane makes something over, and Son, with the header, converts it. That is an absolutely superb goal, and it's the usual combination Kane to Son. It's a brilliant header. For the first Kane's flicked header for Son Young Min to score the only goal of Tottenham's win against Burnley on Monday night was the seventh time this Premier League season that Kane has provided the assist for Son. No player has provided more than seven assists for another player in a Premier League season this decade, a record that looks set to be broken given that we're only six games in, of course. So with this strike partnership looking set to make waves, let's take a look at some others that have been prolific over different eras. Uh, you can go around Europe for this one, you can stick closer to home in the Premier League or go into the EFL. Incidentally, by the way, Sons also returned the favour a couple of times with assists this campaign for Kane. Um, Who have you gone for? Hayley, we'll start with you. Well, I have focused on the here and now. Um, But obviously, if you're to go back, I will give a mention to, you know, Cole and York at Manchester United. But it's not all about Manchester United with me, believe it or not. So shout outs to Ian Rush and Kenny Dalglish. When you go back through the ages, when you say partnerships, there are very obvious ones that stand out. But who knew that when Romelu Lukaku was to head to Syria A, that he would form a wonderful partnership with Lautaro Martinez. Um, they're quite the strike force. Um Okay, they had a big game against um, Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League and um, neither of them actually performed particularly brilliantly. So maybe I'm picking a wrong week to to, to shine a light on these two. But um, Antonio Conte is is obviously at the club now and I don't know if I've mentioned it's Inter Milan, but I should say it is Inter Milan. He's made big changes. He's got the best out of his talent. And Lukaku, every time I look up at the Vidi printer on, on Sky... I see his name popping up. He scored 10 goals in 10 games so far this season. That's for club and country across Nations League, Champions League and Serie A. And um, him and Lautaro, um, they have a bit of a loving. They they speak so glowingly about 
each other. It's absolutely lovely. Romelu Lukaku has actually said, I absolutely love him. They're the first duo to score over 20 goals in a single season for Inter Milan. They finished second um, last season to Juventus. That was since Adriano and Obafemi Martins. So that's going way back. Um, to their partnership in 2004-2005. There is Alexis Sanchez to kind of throw into the mix there as well. And the big problem is now, so Sanchez is out, but once he's back, will Conte break this partnership up? Now, Lukaku has said, scoring goals is my thing. It's my drug. It's what I live for. The older you get, you have to use your intelligence as well, because I always say I'm a student of the game. I learn from everybody around me. I want to help my teammates. And he says, it doesn't matter who I play up front with. But he said, I need Lautaro or Alexi Sanchez to do me a big favour. But I just think the Lula combination, which sounds like something I would say to my child or a character in Teletubbies, um, works really lovely. Um, a lot saying that Sanchez, when he gets back, he's got to be played for Lukaku in the big games because it's the big games when um, Lautaro struggles a little bit. Um, so he could potentially be a super sub. I'm just mentioning these guys because we don't really shine a spotlight on Italian football very often. And these were two shining lights from last season. I think we'll go on to do great things this season. It's just a shame Lukaku couldn't find the same when he was at Manchester United. I love it when we do that and we shorten the names. Lula, um, it's very catchy. Um, what have you got, Ali? Anything as catchy? Yeah, well, speaking of um, shortening of names, I obviously I love it when they have the the strike partnerships like the SAS, the Sutton and Shearer, and even um, you know the, there's a, there's been another um, Suarez and Sturridge, yeah, another SAS. Um, but I'm going to go with the BBC um, of Real Madrid. I am obviously a Real Madrid fan. I was out there for a few seasons setting up Real Madrid TV, so I'm I'm you know particularly interested in this one. I mean, it was actually Ronaldo and Benzema for nine seasons, but then when Bale came into the mix. Uh, when he signed in 2013. The BBC lasted for about five years. They won four Champions Leagues, won La Liga, and they were just such an incredible partnership altogether. Um, 43 goals in 77 La Liga appearances and 19 goals between them in 33 Champions League. Um, So they they just had such an incredible chemistry. And the reason I think about it as well at the moment is because there's something very interesting going on at Real Madrid. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, um, but there was a bit of a, a sort of a confrontation um, Benzema at half time in Real Madrid's Champions League game the other day. So Benzema basically said to his teammate, Fernand Mendy, the left back, um, about Vinicius Jr. He said, don't give it to him. He doesn't want it. He doesn't pass it to him. He's playing against us. And then in the second half, um, Benzema didn't pass to him at all. So I just, I mean, that no one really knows the truth of the matter and whether he really was saying actually don't pass to him or whether there was a bit of a misunderstanding here. And he did put a bit of a weird cryptic message on Instagram um, saying, while the dogs, dogs are barking, the number nine carries on, which is a bit strange. I don't know whether he's talking about, you know, amidst all the no- noise, I just get up, get along with my business. But it must be really strange when you've had an incredible partnership like the one with Cristiano Ronaldo and then he goes goes off to Juventus and you know is doing great things with Dybala actually there um, but it must be hard when you're left with someone that's not quite got the same chemistry and so yeah it just got me thinking of that incredible BBC and of course it was the same time when you had the MSN over in Barcelona so there was this great kind of La Liga partnerships going on. Uh, it's interesting because you've both gone around Europe I, I have stayed closer to home I've gone for the Premier League but I thought if you go 
times gone by, like you talk about SAS when it was Shearer and Sutton, of course, that era, many stripe partnerships were formed because there was a lot of 442 formations. So I decided to go with the other SAS, which you mentioned, Ali, which was Suarez and Sturridge, because, of course, that was less common a time um, to be playing 442. Um, and it was more from a, a 4-3-3 formation, wasn't it, that they were successful? It was the season that they really lit it up. They hold the scoring record for a 38-game season with 52 goals between them. Um, in that record-breaking campaign, Suarez and Sturridge provided nine assists for each other. But to give us some context for how we set this out with Kane and Son, that's exactly where they're both at now after just six games. So it looks like they'll go on to break that. Um, I think it was about that telepathy, wasn't it? I mean, I think with Suarez and Sturridge as well, they used to try to outdo each other. Uh, I don't think you see that as much with Son and Kane. It seems more complimentary, whereas I think with Suarez and Sturridge, there would be one of them assisting or one of them scoring and then they would try and better it for, for themselves. And that selfishness can be really great for, for goal scorers as we've seen in the past. Now, the Golden Boy Award is given by sports journalists every year to a young footballer in Europe perceived to have been the most impressive during a calendar year. All the nominees must be under the age of 21 and play in a European nation's top tier. So the 2020 final shortlist was released a few weeks back. You may have seen it on social media and the likes. It includes six Premier League players, uh, Bukayo Saka from Arsenal, Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi, Wolves record signing Fabio Silva, Manchester City's Ferran Torres, who's starting to score lately, isn't he? Phil Foden's in there and Manchester United's Mason Greenwood. But, ladies, of the other 16 names on that list from around Europe, I want us to pick two each and tell each other why they're a rising star and ones to keep an eye on. Uh, We'll start with Ali this time. Yeah, I'm going to stick with La Liga. This is a bit of a La Liga special for me, isn't it? But I'm going to go with a couple of Barcelona boys, Ansu Fati and Serginio Dest. Um, I mean, Fati is just one of the most bright young prospects. I'm so excited about him. He's only 17 years old. Actually, quite fittingly for our Halloween special, his birthday's on the 31st of October. So yeah, exactly. So he'll be 18 then. And he's got four Spanish caps. um, But his story is an interesting one because he moved to Seville when he was age six and his father and his brothers are both footballers. Um, And he joined um, La Masia, obviously the famous Barcelona Academy, when he was just 10 years old and his brother had done the same just the year before. And he is such a new and exciting player, but he's just breaking records every single week. I mean, I'll just go through some of the records that he's broken. Um, So he made his debut for the first team before he'd even played for the reserves at Barcelona, which is quite something. Uh, Age 16 and 298 days, he was the youngest player to debut for Barcelona since 1941. Um, He scored against Osasuna, becoming the youngest Barcelona goalscorer, still 16 years old, by the way. He made his Champions League debut against Dortmund, so becoming the youngest Champions League appearance maker for Barcelona. But then he scored the winner, um, aged 17 years, in um, a a 2-1 win over Inter Milan at the San Siro. So he's just got every record going um, as far as age is concerned. He's the youngest to score for Spain as well. And this season under Ronald Koeman, he's doing really, really well. And I think he he really made his mark um, scoring a brace in the 4-0 win over Villarreal. And he also scored in El Clasico. That makes him the youngest El Clasico scorer as well. So I think there's, um, you know, some really, really exciting things to come for him. There was a little bit of controversy surrounding him following a Champions League game because one of the Spanish writers said that when he runs, he looks like a black street vendor being chased by the cops, which is 
horrifically racist and, and absolutely unacceptable. And it was wonderful to see, um, of course, you'd expect it. All of his teammates came out straight away and said, this is, you know, you, you can't say this. Antoine Griezmann um, was very vocal and supportive of him as well. But he is 17 years old. He's breaking all these records. He's only five foot 10. So, you know, kind of similarities with Messi as well. And, you know, to get to work with Messi all the time, who's, you know, someone who's inspired him. He says he's also inspired by Drog, Drogba as well. Um, and many of the other Barcelona players. So, yeah, keep an eye out for him. Mine is actually from, from your rival, Valley, uh, well, from Barcelona's rivals, and it's Real Madrid. It's really interesting what you said about Vinicius Jr. earlier, because I just wonder how this young man is going to cope and rise above the criticism and the strange situations that are going on with um, Benzema. Now, Vinicius Jr. actually credited Benzema with helping him settle in. He, he joined from Flamengo. Um, he signed a contract on his 18th birthday in 2018. He actually did stay on, on loan there, but has been, um, you know, great for Real Madrid, a breath of fresh air coming in as this uh, young, very strong, um, agile footballer. Um, you know, he, he's talked about like everyone does it's a dream come true to play alongside all the best players that are here I make the most of every moment with them and I listen a lot but you just kind of wonder what is happening and why Benzema thinks he's playing against them he has been criticized for his finishing abilities Brazilian he's um still got a lot to learn but he is yes he hasn't won as much as um, you know, the Barcelona youngsters that you obviously talk about, Real Madrid hadn't been as successful as Barcelona in the time that Vinicius has been um, um, uh, playing there. Um, but I just think it's going to be all about kind of mindset for this young man. Um, the great thing about him is he's, he's quite versatile. Um, he plays as a left winger, but he can also play on the right and as a striker as well. He's, he's lightning fast. Um, He's got, as I mentioned, this explosive pace. So he's, he's a real nightmare for defenders. And I just think as long as he's still played by Real Madrid and that he can rise above whatever is happening at the club, he's obviously definitely uh, someone to look out for. And he's got those Brazilian skills that we all love to see as well, which we see a lot of in La Liga. Uh, the one that I'm going to chip in with is Sandro Tonali, who's at um, Ace in Milan, a midfielder, but was linked with quite a few English clubs, including Liverpool and Man United. Um, he was scouted as well by your Chelsea, Alison, uh, under Maurizio Sarri's reign. They were looking at him for quite some time. Uh, just 20 years old, he impressed during his debut season in Syria. So he scored one, assisted seven, um, but they were relegated Brescia to Serie B. Um, and that was just after one year in the top flight. So it was quite obvious that he was going to get interest and be one of those players to move on uh, but it was him that pushed for a move to go to AC Milan because that's the the childhood club that he supported but really one to watch as he grows and, and goes on and he could end up in the Premier League one day. Um, back to you Ali for another from Barcelona. Yeah, I'm going to keep this one short. I don't think that this one is necessarily worthy of winning. I think that Fatty, Ansu Fatty has definitely got more chance of it with all the records that he's breaking. But this for me is a player one to watch, Serginio Dest. He's a right back. He's 19 years old. He was actually born in the Netherlands, but he's got an American dad. So he's actually been the first American to play for Barcelona. Um, and he's a newbie. I mean, he was only transferred to Barcelona just this month. Um, he actually started out his career as a forward, but he's been getting gradually further back and he's a right back at the moment. So obviously, you know, being a former forward, you can imagine he's incredibly attacking. Um, but he does say that right now he's really 
you know, trying to work hard on his defensive duties. And when you've got, you know, the likes of Piquet and Longley and Alba in that back four, um, but he can also play in a back three, actually, because that happened the other day and he had to adapt really quickly. Um, so many plaudits in El Clasico. He was one of the best players. I think Ronald Koeman's been really excited by what he's done so far. Um, so, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's one of those guys, you know, great pace, solid defending, um, also really good at attacking play and one to watch. And it, I think it's exciting as well to have an American in the Barcelona team Team. And, you know, he's already got, I think he's got a couple of caps for the USA senior team um, already as well. So that's one, you know, one for the future, 19 years old. I definitely found when looking at these two players that there was one that was definitely stronger than the other one. Was that the case for you too, Hayley? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a player that I think will eventually come to the Premier League. I'm hoping coming to Manchester United, just keeping that running theme up. What about um, Erling Haaland? Now, I mention him as well because obviously I am the daughter of a of a footballer. Whilst I didn't go into football and, and playing, um, I did have to deal with a little bit of kind of nepotism and I had to live up to my dad's. You know, you have to kind of live up to what your parents have achieved. Now, his father played for Leeds United, Manchester City, amongst other clubs. So he's got that to live up to. He's a massive Leeds United fan and his dream is to go back to Leeds United and play there one day. Who knows? That might happen. But I think potentially he'll be going to a bigger club because he's a much bigger talent than that. Sorry, Leeds. Um, his mum was a heptathlete as well. So he absolutely has sport in his blood. Now, he was with Salzburg. He won the Austrian Bundesliga and the Austrian Cup in the side when he was playing as just a teenager. Um, um, in the Champions League, he became the first teenager to score in five consecutive Champions League matches. That is quite an achievement. Um, it was December last year. He then moved to Borussia Dortmund and they paid just 20 million euros for him. Um, he scored a hat-trick on his debut against Genk on September the, the 17th. Um, and also he scored those five goals in 59 minutes as well in a match, making him the first player in history of the Bundesliga to achieve that. Not even Gerd Müller or even Robert Lewandowski. Now he's been compared to Robert Lewandowski as well, um, made such an impressive feat. He, he turns defenders in an instant. Um, he is um, so brilliant on his feet. He's so quick and he's very, um, he's kind of very beyond his years for such youngsters. You'll probably notice that with quite a few of these on this list. You think, oh, okay, I, I thought they'd been around for that little bit longer. Or you watch them and you just think, oh, he's got a sensible head on him. Perhaps that's down to his father. He said he's been influenced by Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Michu. Now, he did play for Mulder. Um, his, his father was a Norwegian. He played for Nottingham Forest and he's still friends with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So that's why I think at some point he could end up at Manchester United. So there you go. Well, we have given you a, a few names there to look out for and we hope that every single one of them succeeds. Uh, next up, a Halloween trio. With Halloween fun kept to a minimum this year, I don't think we're going to see as many trick-or-treaters, are we, ladies? Um, we're so over 2020, aren't we? Uh, we thought we'd keep the trick-and-treat firmly in place with a football twist, though, of course. So, Hayley Alley, I'm asking you to recall a famous ghost goal moment. Uh, you can tell me about football's most haunted. It can be a stadium, training ground, for instance, or somewhere that just gave you the eebie-jeebies. And then to round it all off, um, Ajax hit the headlines, didn't they, around the world after beating 
beating VVV Venlo 13-0. Can you believe that? So I want some more examples of hair-raising scorelines. Do you see all of those? So maybe even ones that you've been at over the years. Um, Let's chip in with ghost goals first. Ali. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with my, my Chelsea. Um, the Luis Garcia ghost goal of 2005 in the semi-finals of the Champions League, um, Chelsea against Liverpool. And I mean, it's it's actually become a bit of a, a, a sort of a humorous topic over the years because we talk about this one all the time. And I think we only really laid it to rest when we actually eventually did go on to win the Champions League because it was one of those things that we it just felt so unfair because William Gallas definitely cleared it off the line and Garcia speaks about it now and he actually says that you know as soon as he hit it he just had no he had no doubt in his mind he just went off and celebrated but he didn't actually stop and and really look so I'm not sure but I think that the best part of this ghost goal is the fact that Garcia trolls Chelsea fans and I think a couple of years later he actually dressed up as a ghost and posted it on his social media sort of as the ghost goal which I thought you know all with a little bit of humour. I am going to take you back to 2005. And does anyone remember Manchester United and Tottenham goalless after 89 minutes at Old Trafford and Pedro Mendes spotting Roy Carroll well off his line in the dying moments and beat him with this wonderful effort from the halfway line. It was a 50-yard effort, but somehow Carroll allowed the ball to kind of squirm out of his outstretched hands. It really is comedy going over his shoulder Um it was a good yard over the line. Carroll kind of desperately clawed it out. Um, I don't know how he managed to get his body into that position. If you search this this one, for those of you who are maybe a little bit too young to, to, to remember, um, the linesman as well didn't see it. The match was allowed to, to go on. It was a crucial point for Manchester United, but my goodness... Um, there was kind of a lot of Sir Alex Ferguson um, piling pressure on referees as well. Um, I think that's fair to say. I can say that now. He's not He's not the boss there anymore. Um, and about people complaining that referees were a little bit biased against Manchester United. But it, it was a real refereeing howler. Um, and I think you can use that as an example of 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 them not being so. I, I visited a friend in Germany in 2013. In fact, she, she came to see the Champions League final, courtesy of you, Hayley, because you got some tickets um, to, to Wembley, if you remember. But that year I went out and watched some Bundesliga games and watched some highlights in German. And I remember this game being on the TV and it was between um, Hoffenheim and Bayer Leverkusen. And I was like, what has just happened there? Can you translate what they're saying? Because to me, this seems like there's a bit of a furore and it doesn't look like that was a goal and it looks like they've given it. I mean, I don't speak German, but he seems to be pointing to the centre circle. And she just translated for me at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, my word, thank goodness for English referees. We bemoan them a lot, but this was ridiculous. Uh, Stefan Keisling's header for Hoffenheim against Bayer Leverkusen. So Bayer Leverkusen were winning 1-0. And then Hoffenheim's striker, he headed from a corner and it was just wide of the goal. And you could see it as clear as day. And then he even put his head in his hands because he's like, oh, you know, I've missed that. Really good opportunity there. But the ball sneaked in through a hole in the net, in the side netting, and the ball ended up in the goal and the referee blew and gave it as a legitimate goal. And 1-1, it finished. And I remember just, just being absolutely spooked, I think would be the word for Halloween by this. Like, how did it manage to keep? And and I even remember messaging afterwards, you know, was there an appeal? Have they managed to get this win? I don't think they ever did. Um, but yeah, 
that would be the ghost skull that springs to mind for me. Um, haunted stadiums, for us to come on to this one, and haunted training grounds or anywhere that you've had that EBGB feeling. I imagine um, out of the most travelled of us, it's probably Ali. So we'll start with you, Ali. Yeah, I mean, I'm so lucky because I've been a Champions League reporter for many, many seasons from I think 2004 was my first season. So I've got to travel to so many exotic, weird and wonderful stadiums. But the one that I always think about, it was so incredible. It was Stour Bucharest. It was Real Madrid against Stour. And, you know, this is in Romania. So this is land of the vampires. And, you know, even their badge, you know, has a, a spooky look about it. And when you looked up in the rafters, it was a late kickoff, of course, there were bats flying around. And it just had this, just this eerie feeling. And one of the funniest things that happened, actually, was that um, after the game, I was working for the club channel. So I got to, um, you know, see a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And what happened is the two presidents of the two clubs got together and the president of Stau Bucharest is a little bit of an um, eccentric man and he decided it would be a really good idea to do this kind of team bonding thing where they do this kind of blood brothers and rub the blood together of the two presidents and they wanted <laughs> us to film it for the club channel and Florentino oh Perez was a bit like, um, I'm not really sure if I'm that comfortable with this and he was like, no, it'll be fine and basically got out like a tub of ketchup and squirted it on their hands and it was supposed to be a whole, you know, we're, we're brothers, we, we support each other. And then he even offered Real Madrid as a bit of a gesture, his very best player. It was a very bizarre exchange, it has to be said. But that, I tell you, was the weirdest and spookiest stadium I've ever been at. It was brilliant. Uh, Hayley, I think we're going to struggle to top this one because I've, I've not ever seen any bats at a football stadium um, or any rubbing of ketchup slash blood. Um, what have you got for us? <laughs> I was just really surprised at how many stadiums are actually haunted, um, not just in Europe, just even just focusing on, on Britain. And thank goodness for the internet helping me with a lot of this. I do also always kind of um, find it... <sighs> A bit strange when people want to scatter the ashes of supporters sort of around a club as well. And I think, oh, in years to come, what about when they knock the stadium down and they build a housing estate there and their beloved is, you know, in the perimeter of, of some stadium like Goodison Park, for example. And then, then what happens if they go on to kind of... That's nope. a really good example yeah. because one of the ones I was looking at is the old Highbury because that's rumoured to be haunted by Herbert Chapman who, for those who are too young to know, um, Arsenal's most successful pre-war manager, apparently haunts the old Highbury Stadium but that is now blocks of flats. So, <laughs> on point. Did you did used to feel a bit spooky actually at Highbury, I felt. <laughs> <laughs> now you say it. King Henry I is um, buried near the Medeski. So quite recently in the last few years, apparently his bones were discovered there by archaeologists. So that's a bit of a strange one and why it's there, I do not know. Now, Home Park, so the home of Plymouth Argyle, um, fans are absolutely convinced that dark arts are at play and the culprit is the spirit of a former footballer at the club. So rumour has it it's the ghost of Dominic Blizzard who wanders around after dark, turning lights on and off, and he helps himself to a shower in the changing room on days when Home Park is closed to the public. Apparently the shower does go on and off and nobody has figured out why. So that is a bit weird. 
I, I, there are quite a few sightings apparently in England. I, I did mention Highbury. You're right. You're right, Ali, because when you say about the feeling, because if you actually scroll the internet, there's quite a few supposed sightings. And another stadium that's on par with that is the Stadium of Light, Sunderland. Um, it, but it's not just fans and members of staff that made a sighting. The reason why I chose this one of all the ones that, that I could find is that an actual striker, uh, when you've got playing staff that say that they had a sighting, that then striker Stephen Elliott said that he saw a sighting of a spirit. They named it as Spotty, um, an 18th century fiend who apparently used to guide the ships to crash upon the rocks near where the Stadium of Light is. But uh, there's apparent pictures people have taken where there's a shadowy figure, all of that sort of stuff. Maybe people can share them with us at, at Offside Rule Pod if they've taken any and um, we can share them online. Um, we'll move on to our final one, hair-raising scorelines, because we saw Ajax win 13-0. Have we got any more that can match that? Have you been at any? I know, Ali, you were at the Leicester-Southampton um, game, weren't you? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I seem to get these crazy games. I, I feel like, you know, I, I just want a nice, easy 1-0 or something. And I end up, uh, I mean, the 9-0 Saints against Leicester was was just incredibly weird because it was one of those wet and wild and windy nights where, you know, the, the rain was swirling around. And in fact, it got so bad that Kelly Cates, who was presenting for Sky, actually had to, to move in and present from the tunnel. You, you hardly ever see the rain that bad that it moves you inside. And so the, the strangest part of that was obviously when she was doing her post-match stuff and speaking about the players, you know, she had all these delighted Leicester fans around her and sort of grabbing them for interviews. And then the poor Saints players you know head in hand hearing everything she had to say about their dismal performance so that was a bit awkward and I was also at the um, Aston Villa 7 Liverpool 2 to be honest with you judging by the performance of those Liverpool players I really expected to to hear and to find out that all those Liverpool players had coronavirus because I mean I've never seen that back line perform like that before you know players like Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez that you know and Trent Alexander-Arnold we're used to seeing them you know so disciplined and I think a couple of players I think Mane and Thiago had actually gone down with coronavirus just before the game and they were obviously missing Alisson as well but I really thought that we might see a lot of positive results after that game so it was such a weird one. It's a bit of a theme, isn't it? Particularly this season, Bayern's defeat of Barcelona. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. Who'd have thought Barcelona of all teams would concede eight goals and have such a heavy defeat? And this was this was in the quarterfinal of the Champions League as well. And it actually was a record. You talk about Barcelona and their records in Europe. And unfortunately, this is a record that they will not want to be brought up and hope that somebody uh, beats this um, to take it away from them. Um, they'll just want to you know, wipe this from their memory. But yeah, it was it was a new quarterfinal record um, for Barcelona. It, it, it was in Lisbon. They are away from home, but there's there should be no excuses for a Barcelona side um, losing to Bayern Munich eight two. In the championship, I was reporting for BBC Final Score uh, when Watford beat Blackpool seven two. What was really interesting about this scoreline was that Blackpool were actually winning two nil. Um, around about the 42nd, 43rd minute, something like that. And then 
Watford went on to score seven all in the second half. Um, it, it was one of those games that was really crazy. And I remember being there thinking, I'm not going to see anything like this again. I'm sure I've been at others where, you know, they've been quite big score lines, but I, I don't feel like I've been at any which have been like eight or nine. So I, th- I think, Ali, you've been dished out most of those. Um, there was a score line that was also 13-0, though, and the anniversary of that was not too long ago. In fact, it was pretty much 15 years ago this week that England women um, beat Hungary 13-0. Uh, Kelly Smith scored a hat-trick in that game. Um, 13-0. Can you imagine the Lionesses now getting a scoreline that, like that? We'd see it everywhere, wouldn't we? But I think it just passed people by 15 years ago. Well, you definitely hear a lot more about that now. And I'm just looking out for some of these more um, extreme scorelines over the coming season. I think there will be more. It's, it seems like that sort of year, doesn't it? Do you think we've done um, Halloween justice, ladies? well in the absence of any trick-or-treating we had to do something didn't we I know we could have gone for a footballer 11 but I do believe on this podcast we've done it every year for probably about the last eight years and we were we're getting a bit tired of it weren't we Linz um so we thought we'd at least just stick to some footballing footballing stats and uh Lindsay's Lindsay's play on names let's just say Let's just say it's quite comedy, isn't it, Lynn? So we, we, we could have ended on something like that and had a bit of a laugh at your expense. On to any other business. Um, I don't think we've got too much to, to get through for this one. Um, I'll start us off because it is one year since the Derby Rimmer Foundation was launched, um, raising vital funds and awareness for motor neuron disease. And they have raised over £740,000 in the first 12 months. Uh, Stephen Derby, um, of course, the footballer who's uh, part of this foundation. Karen Carney amongst the friends because his wife's uh, Steph Horton as well. Um, she did a, a marathon race raising lots of money. Um, Honestly, such a good cause. And I think to celebrate a year of of raising over £740,000, wanted to just give them a mention. Hayley. Okay, well, mine, I'm actually up in the northeast at the moment. And I just want to mention something that happened in Darlington this week. And Darlington is the town where Arthur Wharton came from. This was a young man who moved from Ghana in 1882, who became the first black professional footballer so there you go there's a stunning mural unveiled a local resident had actually campaigned for over 12 years for this to happen so he he moved over to England he became a sporting icon um he's hugely celebrated up in up in Darlington and it's a really beautiful mural we'll post a picture of it on our social media site um the building is the Arthur Wharton Foundation and um, there's lots of information about him. If you just go and have a little bit of a Google, obviously uh, we're coming to the end of Black History Month as well. And with everything that's happened with Black Lives Matter, I think it's really fitting that this has happened right now to have an inspirational figure like Arthur that you can look up to on the side of a building, I think is real testament to him and all that he went through in his footballing career as well. Fantastic. And um, Ali, I don't suppose that you've had too much because you've been under a blanket trying to to rest. It's funny, actually, because even though I've been ill, it's, been, it's given me a nice opportunity to kind of just sort of reflect. And, and actually, I'm not just saying this because I'm on the offside rule, but one of the things I did was I actually started listening to podcasts that I thought would both educate me and entertain me. And I decided to listen to the WSL edition that you guys do. 
Um, and I got hooked, actually, and I ended up listening to so many of them. So I feel like I'm a lot more up on women's football, um, thanks to you, than I was before. So that was good. And the other thing that I wanted to mention that I thought was just lovely while I was ill was just the heartfelt, like reading the timeline of Marcus Rashford just gave me such joy. I literally had tears in my eyes because, you know, it's all very well criticising the government and talking politics. And that was really weighing me down. And to see someone actually go and do something and actually be very practical and just, you know, all the different towns and all the cities um you know all the restaurants and cafes putting food forward for kids i just thought it was really uplifting and that definitely put me in a good mood that has been fantastic to see you also have helped me as well to give a plug for our new exclusive actually ali because on the wsl edition we actually sat down with natasha dowie this week getting lots of lovely feedback so if you've not seen that yet or had a listen please check that out Haley will remind us how you can rate us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast yep we're all about positivity here and going on ali's glass half full type personality that's how we all are here so we only accept positive uh, reviews which is exactly what you can do when you head on to wherever you get your podcasts for and there should be five little blank stars you simply go along to the fifth one and click it as simple as that <laughs> easily done you can also give us a follow on twitter at offside rule pod on facebook with offside rule and you can see all the best articles from the week we also have a, a column now from rich laverty on women's football too if you want to get up to speed with that at offsiderulepodcast.com. That is all we've got time for for this one. Ali, we hope you get better soon and that you're out at the football again. Um, And Hayley, I'll speak to you again next week. Muddy News Media. Sports Social Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.